You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I will be speaking with Steve King of Emergent Research, and oh my goodness, I am excited to be sharing what he has to say with you. He always has such incredible insight into what's happening because he has been researching this stuff, the future of work, the future of the workforce, in particular, the remote workforce and co-working for a whole bunch of years now, 10 years or so now. I remember when he had released a report, uh, he actually uh, has worked for several years with the company MBO Partners, which manages a bunch of um, contract workers. They produce a State of Independence in America report, which talks about independent workforce things. And he made this claim in uh, the early 2010s that by 2020, 40% of the workforce would be an independent uh, workforce, independent workers. And it was a startling, kind of a bold claim at the time. But as the years pressed on, it became more and more apparent that he was going to be very much correct. And now here we are in 2020. His predictions have been spot on. And we now live in a world in which the relationship people have with their work has truly changed, truly, truly changed. And so now we get to look at where we're at and where we're going from here. And we get into a lot of the issues around remote work and the needs of that workforce, the massive untapped opportunities that co-working spaces still have an opportunity to dig into. So if you are running a space, if you're interested in reaching kind of the, especially the corporate workforce, um, the gig, gig economy also, um, lots to dig into in this. In the meantime, while you're uh, listening to him, you can check out his website at smallbizlabs, S-M-A-L-L-B-I-Z-L-A-B-S.com. That's his site for emergent research. Go check out his fun charts, all of his info. And in the meantime, let's get to the interview. So here's Steve King on Juicy Podcast. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to chat. Tony, thanks for having me. So just for folks who might not know who you are already and your relationship to coworking, can you just give us the quick, quick kind of overview of how you first started studying coworking, uh, some of the things that you've done in the past years and, and uh, where you're at in terms of your work with coworking today? Sure. Um, we actually first stumbled across coworking in 2007. Um, our firm, Emergent Research, basically studies the future of work and its intersection with small businesses and independent workers, people like freelancers, independent contractors, self-employed, etc. And um, we were told of a co-working space back in 2007, and we went to visit it. It's called the Hat Factory in San Francisco. And um, since then, we've basically been tracking co-working because to us, it, it provides a window on what we think is one possible future of work. And now that we've been at it for a dozen years, um, that has proven to be true, the original idea. Um, over the years, we've done a number of studies on co-working. We've done a lot of forecasting work around the growth of the industry. We've looked at how, how relationships form in co-working spaces. We've looked at the impact of co-working on the, the social sides of co-working. Um, we've looked at how corporations are embracing co-working. So we've just done a ton of ton of research work on it over that period of time. 
And are, are there any particular studies that you would still point people to? I know that you worked with MBO partners on the state of independence in America. Are there any other kind of resources that people should kind of Google for while they're listening to this? Um, it, yeah, if they're interested in co-working, a, a lot of the stuff's just on our on our uh, blog, which is small business labs, um, small biz, B-I-Z labs.com. Um, and there's a, t- a tag for co-working and you'll find um, references to the studies we've done and but probably equally important or maybe more important references to a lot of other studies on co-working. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for research on co-working and, and related topics. Um, so I would, I would point them there. Um, we've done a lot of work on sort of the growth of independent work and the on-demand economy and the sharing economy. Um, that stuff's all, all listed there too. So if they want to peruse that, that would be great. Um, sure. That's about it. Gotcha. And what have you been up to recently? What are you focused on right now? We've been doing a, a continuation of, of work um, with a focus on independent workers and what's going on with the gig economy um, has taken up a lot of our time. Uh, the second area where we're spending a lot of time is on how the changing nature of the economy is impacting low and moderate income folks, um, both in the U.S. and, and globally, and, and what um, working with a number of organizations on trying to figure out how to, uh, how to provide greater levels of income and financial security for those groups. And so uh, a lot of that has to do with self-employment and the gig economy and independent work, and so it, so it intertwines with that. Um, those are the two major areas that that we've been working on recently. Right, because this is a world now where we have less and less people on steady salary, nine to five office jobs. We have a greater share of people who are in this kind of contingent work, gig economy, micro business kind of world, which has implications as far as financial stability, healthcare, taxes, all this stuff that's that's typically oriented around traditional employment is still largely oriented around traditional employment, right? So there's a lot of issues around the fact that people are working differently than what the the many of the society's constructs are are, are expecting. Is that generally right? Yeah, and, and in, in particular, um, traditional work has changed in the sense that while most Amer- Americans and um, certainly I'll, I'll sort of circle back on Americans for now. It gets more complicated as, as you look across the world. Most Americans, of course, still have traditional jobs, but traditional jobs are no longer as secure as they once were. Um, a lot of middle wage jobs have hollowed out, meaning we don't have as many middle wage jobs as we used to. Um, uh, uh, schedules are less predictable. And so what's happened is, um, more and more Americans are turning to second and third sources of income or jobs. And so this lack of uncertainty, this lack of security and increased economic uncertainty um, is, is very much changing uh, the workforce and, and the work patterns. And so we're, we're seeing very large growth in the number of independent workers, gig workers as second jobs um, and as second sources of income to try to make ends meet. And, and due to the lack of financial security, 
um, that pushes more stuff onto our safety nets, um, which frankly are not good and have declined over time. Uh, so more and more people as they face rising costs, whether it's from healthcare, education, housing are the three big drivers of, of rising costs that, that impact um, uh, most Americans. Uh, they're responding by trying to increase their working hours, but in the face of that, traditional jobs aren't necessarily the way that's going to happen due to declining wages and um, and insecurity. So, so we, we're, we're in a bit of a mess uh, with about 40% of Americans basically living paycheck to paycheck or near paycheck to paycheck. Now, the good news is um, about 30% of them, for about 30% of Americans, these are these are the best of times. Um, if you have the right skills and the right abilities, you're in, you've seen big income gains, you've seen um, ample job opportunities. Uh, it's a great economy for the, for the people with the right skills. And so what happens is on average, our economic numbers look quite good. Um, low unemployment, moderate growth, declining growth, but moderate growth. Um, and so on average, things look good, but when you get under the hood, we're increasingly living in a bifurcated economy um, of winners and, and maybe not losers, but winners and non-winners. Yeah, I believe you had introduced me to the term barbell economy many years back, that the, yeah. that the bulk of people, the middle is being hollowed out and there's a bunch of people on one end and a bunch of people on the other end. That's exactly what's been happening. And, and so when you, when you have that phenomena, average looks good. And there's been <laughs> several good books written called Average No Longer Works or Average Is, is Over. Um, those are all true. Um, it, it all depends on where you are on the curve now. And, um, and so there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, to make things better for the people that are not on the, the good side of the curve. Okay, so let's tie this to co-working because I think one of the things we've all found interesting is the fact that co-working spaces sit at the intersection of all of this. And uh, the things that happen in co-working spaces in particular could be things that could help to address the, uh, these issues, right? That people could find access to the resources they need to be um, less precarious in terms of their financial situation, they can get the support they need, that kind of thing. What, what role do you see spaces playing now um, what role aren't they playing that they should be playing? Like, where are the opportunities here that we need to be focusing more on? Well, co co-working spaces now are, are segmented and differentiated and, and are serving a lot of different roles depending upon which co-working space you're talking about or which chain or, or which specific space. And so we have the co-working spaces that serve big corporations, and that's, that's great um, and, and certainly a growing part. In terms of of the serving the independent worker and or the person who's trying to improve their lot in life, um, there there are a number of spaces that do that, and and the big things that they can provide and do provide in many cases is um, is access to a talent network uh, uh, that that allows people to um, find new work potentially education opportunities, learning opportunities, a place to get feedback. So basically a place to start and build an independent business that, that can make them more successful. Um, 
you and I have often talked in the past about the social sides of co-working, um, which is also very important standpoint, but more from the standpoint of co-working spaces. Um, our, our research and others, we see that uh, people tend to be a little happier. They tend to be less lonely. They tend to view themselves as being healthier. Um, and those are all important aspects of life. And so a combination of helping them out economically and also helping them out emotionally is is great things that co-working spaces currently do and, and can continue to do in the future. Except that we've got some numbers that tell us that there's a lot of territory still to be covered, right? A few years ago, I believe it was in Berkeley at Juicy, you offered up one of the more startling statistics I've seen in the co-working world uh, where you estimated, and I know it was a rough estimate, but it, I, I think it's still pretty accurate that something like 98% of the total addressable market of co-working spaces uh, were people who were not members of any co-working space. And I've since walked that back to maybe 97% now, but uh, that number still seems enormous, right? That the vast, vast majority of people who could be using co-working spaces aren't. Is that still largely the case, you think? And, and why do you think that is? Yeah, it is still largely. The, I mean, and you have to keep in mind that TAM, total addressable market, is is a term that's used in startup world and business world that that's effectively unachievable in the sense that no, no business that we know of or few have ever achieved 100% of TAM. Um, unless they have a very, very small TAM. And so when you look at the total number of people who could be working in a co-working space, oh gosh, um, we probably are a co-working or some form of flexible workspace. Yeah, we're still probably at three to 4% penetration, roughly. Um, and that's because there's just many, many millions of independent workers, all of whom could potentially work in a co-working space. And there's a good, you know, 40 million traditional workers. So, so in the independent worker space, it's in the probably the 25 or 30 million range that could be a co-working member. And in traditional space, traditional employees, it's probably another 40 million. This is in the U.S. alone. So you're looking at 75 million, maybe even as much as 90 million. So, so it's a huge number. Um, but so certainly there's still lots of room to grow for the co-working industry. Now there's a lot of blocks to that um, and a lot of friction before you can achieve that greater level of, of market penetration. Um, but, but yeah, there's still a huge opportunity out there. Yeah. And so what I'm thinking is that the kind of the first part of this conversation around the needs of this precariat workforce is maybe holding some of the secrets of what co-working spaces can do to be able to open up and gain access to big swaths of those people who are just not currently engaged as members of co-working spaces. Does that make sense? Am I kind of on the right track, you think? Yeah, I think, I think and so, so we look at things as frictions. What are the frictions that keep things from happening? And, and, and those are forces that have to be overcome before any, as part of a forecast when we're looking at this, is the first thing we do is what's going to keep something from happening. And so 
in co-working space, historically location's been an issue in the sense that um, for a long time the industry was primarily located in urban only environments and that kind of cut down on a large chunk of the nation that didn't live in downtown urban areas. And so over the last, well, for a number of years, we've been seeing the geographic expansion of co-working into mid-sized and smaller towns. And so that's one friction that's slowly being reduced, but still vast areas of the country. Um, our research has shown over and over again, and it's a common thing in the transportation industry, that most people won't <coughs> go more than 20 minutes to, to, to commute um, unless they absolutely have to. And so you have to sort of figure out what percentage of population is within, say, a half hour or 45 minutes of a co-working space. Um, and right there, you eliminate a big chunk of the addressable market. But as I said, we're, we're seeing that expand. So that's, that's one friction. And then there's, there's just the value proposition when we're talking about this market, um, this audience. They're, they're, they're sitting there going, I can work at a coffee shop for free. I can work at home for free. Um, I have to see the value. And that, that's a tough one, um, particularly if we're talking about low and moderate income folks or folks that are in some level of financial um, stress that they have to see the value of it. And I think the industry's always, um, always had an issue presenting the value of, of the offering and, and it's gotten much better at it, but that's just going to have to continue to happen that, that if you go, that you're going to get a really solid return on your investment by working in a co-working space rather than the, the free options compete competing with free is always a challenge. Yeah. Well, and I think, We've seen people play with solutions, but I feel like we have a whole nother quantum leap to go in terms of emphasizing that co-working spaces aren't just office rental spaces, but places where people can go and get access to answers to a lot of the questions that came up earlier in this conversation, that they can um, get access to resources or even just other people to help them answer their questions that would lower their barrier to being able to start and, and grow the, 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 their, their income streams and their businesses. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I think, I think that the, the news that that's happening is getting out as the industry gets bigger. Um, I think to a certain degree, the, the rise of WeWork and industrious and some of the corporate oriented co-working spaces has changed the way the media talks about co-working. And honestly, I think that's a little detrimental um, to the efforts of getting at more independent workers and more low and moderate income Americans joining co-working spaces because it all sounds very corporatized now. And so I think um, the, the, the local co-working spaces, the, the independents, the ones that, that, are, that are potentially gonna target this market, um, the independent worker market, going to have to work harder to cut through that. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of great examples of the small indie co-working space accomplishing this goal. And so um, we have both things going on at the same time. Um, but the good news is the word is getting out and the industry continues to grow at a, a fairly rapid clip, both in terms of attracting the large corporate users, but also in terms of attracting the independent worker users. 
Right. So yeah, no shortage of opportunity going forward for sure. No, no, we've still got a long way to go in terms of the growth path of the industry. So I guess looking forward, as we kind of get into kind of the final phase of our conversation here, what, what are you seeing in terms of where things are headed? And I'll, I'll say we could widen the lens a little bit, not just co-working, not just gig economy, but I guess economy in general, work in general. Where, where do you see things going? I know you, you've, you've made some incredible prognostications about the future of the workforce, the future of co-working that have largely proven out to be very accurate. So take me beyond 2020. Where, where do you see things headed now? Well, we have, we have a, uh, the, the, the mega trends that have been driving the shifts um, for the last decade and a half, two decades, continue to be in place. Um, digitization and technology, um, globalization, despite the current hiccups, a lot of social and demographic changes. And so the mega trends are, are still in place. Um, one of the one of the most important trends that seems to finally be hitting is work is appears to be starting to become truly more distributed. Um, we've always had this trend we call the paradox of place, which is we have all this technology that makes makes it easier to work remotely, yet jobs have been uh, congregating in fewer locations, mostly in, in the major cities. Um, what economists call agglomeration effects. Um, but what we're finally seeing now is distributed work is is starting to show signs of taking off and and people are companies are moving their locations are more willing to have remote locations um people are more willing to work are are more active working remotely um one of the impacts of that will be the need for office space in smaller mid-sized towns around the country and around the globe. And so that will impact co-working in, in terms of as work becomes more distributed, um, co-working will need to become more distributed to support those workers. Um, we see that as a, as a very important trend and a shift that's just starting to take off. After, you know, it's been predicted since the 90s. Um, we've always looked at it and said, because of these frictions, it's not, not there yet, and that's why we call it the paradox of place. But the paradox seems to be unwinding finally. And I think that's a really big one um, in general, and it has lots of secondary effects. Related to that, large corporations continue to seek, and small businesses continue to seek greater levels of business flexibility and agility. And so the percentage of non-employee labor um, continues to grow. For, for large companies, different people put it at 35 to 40% of their workforce. Um, a lot of companies, Microsoft, Google, over half their effective workforce are, is non-employee labor. The trends for that to continue to grow are very strong. So, so that also means uh, big companies interacting with smaller firms more, as well, well as uh, independent workers more, those firms and workers will also need places to work. And so um, more there. And a related trend that I think is very important to co-working is we're seeing teams of independent workers uh, form up and form down small agencies. Um, the term hives used to be used for this, but they, they tend to form small project teams. They form up and they form down. But a great opportunity for co-working to be the home of these things, of these teams, um, 
and then promoting more work for the independent worker and the small agencies that are housed within the co-working space. So they can become more directly involved in revenue generation activities by their members. Those, those three shifts, and that third one's just another example of the barbell we've always talked about. Um, so those three shifts are some of the strongest trends that we're seeing right now. The last one I'll touch on is just sort of wellness and what it means at the corporate level. Um, we've clearly shown that working alone and working from home alone is not a great thing for the mental health and well-being of the average uh, worker. Um, we do have workers that love that, and so we call them uh, hermitpreneurs, and they're a different case. But for the average person, um, it's not, not a healthy thing to do. Um, we're already seeing corporations recognize this and realizing they're going to have to provide some form of social interactivity for their remote workers who are growing in number. And providing and paying for a co-working space seems to be the ideal solution to us. And so we actually think going forward, you'll see HR departments and even legal departments say, we have to provide our employees access to co-working spaces um, for mental and physical health and wellness issues. So those are, the, those are the biggies right now from our point of view. It's interesting that you mentioned that in particular. I think, you know, each of these things you're talking about could very easily lead to marketing angles for co-working spaces to, to, to attract new, new groups or, or to kind of find new approaches, right, in terms of the, the vectors that they have of explaining what, why what they're doing is, is, is worthwhile, right? That uh, you could make the argument that, hey, if you've got a remote team, here's the mental health and emotional health benefits of giving them a place that they can work, even if they don't need to work anywhere. Um, you know, simply by virtue of the fact that people still need to get out of the house and be around other humans. And here's kind of the info that backs that. And, you know, here's, here's the package that we have specifically for corporate remote workers, you know, and, and the wellness uh, uh, benefits that we provide specifically geared towards that audience. Like that, that could be a direction that a, a space could go. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think another example would be our co-working space has five separate and distinct teams that tend to form up that do these different kinds of work. Um, if you do that type of work, join our co-working space and join that team. Um, the, the biggest problem for independent workers, biggest challenge is always finding more work. And not everybody's suited to go out and sell, but some people are really good at going out and selling. So if you join a co-working space and you join a team where someone knows how to sell, it's quite possible you can leverage your skills, which may not be in the marketing area, but may be very strong at the technical level, and take advantage of the team structures that are there. So I do think there's a number of marketing opportunities that come up um, for the spaces based on on things that will, will definitely improve the lives and businesses of their members. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting challenge for the spaces, most of which are more used to providing space and related social activities to a certain degree. Um, they're going to have to, the spaces are going to have to, um, you know, continue to improve in the areas of, adding to these business development opportunities, adding to these wellness opportunities. Um, but, but the industry is already showing signs of doing that, has for several years.
Got it. And, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just touch uh, for a second on the location conversation as well that, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for people if you live in a particularly nice part of the world or an area that is that has a lot going for it compared to maybe colder weather climate, things like that, that there's an angle to say, hey, if you can work anywhere, come come hang and work here. Yeah, and you, we, we see that, you know, the leading edge of that are the, the digital nomad locations, Bali, um, Croatia, um, Vietnam, Thailand. Um, places that are that are very popular with digital nomads who, who truly have location independent lifestyles and so it doesn't really matter where they are um, we, we study that trend quite actively and and you, you you see that in the way they work and behave and so they're they're definitely at the leading edge of that and we're not suggesting most people will want to be digital nomads but, but you start to think through what that means for a more traditional lifestyle, but instead of, of living in San Francisco or where it's outrageously expensive or commuting several hours a day um, because I have to live so far outside of San Francisco, I, I happen to live in San Francisco, um, that uh, maybe it makes more sense to live, uh, you know, live in uh, Colorado and telecommute or Utah right. and telecommute. Um, you know, you start to see that, and that that has not. And that's why I'm saying the distributed work, the logic behind it's very, very strong, and it, and it is starting to happen without a doubt. Gotcha. But you have to find once you do make those moves, where where are you going to work from? And yeah. home and coffee shops right now are the logical alternative um, until co-working gets fully distributed. Also, makes sense. Um, very exciting, Steve. Well, I think, uh, there's a lot to chew on just based on the stuff we've talked about already. Uh, is there anything else, anything else that you're working on coming up next that we should stay tuned, look out for coming soon? Oh, well, we are, we are putting out a study on digital nomadism, uh, in oh. probably another month or so. Oh, we're at the on that. And that's a, that's a very exciting topic for us because, Digital nomads really are, uh, you know, remote workers on steroids. And so um, we're in year two of, of an in-depth dive on, on digital nomads, and we'll be doing an update report on that in probably about four or five weeks. We're just, just crunching through the final numbers and interviews this week. So then we have to write it up. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, Steve, I'm excited to read that report. I'm grateful for the time that you've shared with me here. It's always great to get your perspective on things and uh, looking forward to seeing more of what you have to say as, uh, as you, as you're able to share more. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Tony. It was good talking to you. All right. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. So there's my conversation with Steve King of Emergent Research. I hope you enjoyed everything he had to share. Once again, head over to smallbizlabs.com for more on uh, his research and where he's going next from here. We've got under three months to go now until Juicy USA. It's going to be in one of my favorite American cities, Seattle, Washington. I'm such a fan of Seattle. I'm such a fan of Juicy. Come hang with me in Seattle. That's going to be April 20th. And you can find out more about that at usa.juicy.co, usa.gcuc.co. You can also find out at the main site, uh, juicy.co, about membership in uh, Juicy's membership program, uh, which offers you 
uh, access to the conferences and access to the materials from the conferences, all kinds of handy resources. And then looking ahead later into 2020, you'll be seeing Juicy in Melbourne in August, London in September, and then uh, Sweden in December, uh, just uh, just under a year away. So lots of exciting Juicy happenings up ahead, but right now the main one is Seattle. So if you know you're gonna go, don't put off booking your flight, don't put off buying your ticket, which is reminding me, I have put off booking my flight. I'm gonna totally do that right after we're done with recording this. So um, come find me over in Seattle and let me know how this podcast worked for you. You can reach me at tony at nwc.co. And in the meantime, wherever you are, keep being awesome.